Lord, I want to be the light. That's a fun song. I've been listening to more of that group recently since Chuck, Chuck introduced me to them. And uh, I got to say, it's hard to not be happy or smile when you listen to the music. I haven't heard a sad song or anything that takes me away from uh, being positive. So if you get a chance, YouTube that group, Sunday Drive, and listen to them. That way you'll know more of their uh, songs when we hear them in concert. But they are really good, really good. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. Let me scan the crowd first to see who's absent, because you all have your permanent assignment seats. And I have everybody. Okay, I know quite a few of you are sick. Those that did not notify us, they're getting Grace Fellowship demerits. And that takes away from, uh, you know, I might start a Grace Fellowship store where you can turn in your points for fun little objects like bookmarks and, 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 and trinkets. But if you get demerits, it's going to be deducted. All right, I digress. The Battle of Jericho was an absolute success. We know that we've discussed that last week. It was a success. But now, as always with the nation of Israel, there is a problem, and it is a big one. It is a big one. Look at Joshua chapter 7, everybody, verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. One man, whole nation affected. Now, I want to go back. we got to figure out what devoted things are we talking about? What devoted things? We're going to put it up there for you. In chapter 6 of Joshua, Joshua 6, 17 through 18, it says this. Get ready for it. It's going to be great. There we go. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live. Because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, talking about Israel, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and being trouble, excuse me, bring trouble upon it. We have perfect instructions. You can't fail in understanding these instructions. The things of Jericho were devoted to God and God alone. But this is how the people, as a whole, this is how they broke faith in regard to the devoted things through one man, Achan. We will soon find out what devoted things he actually took. But this story, oh boy, does it hit home. Let's go a little further. In the text, Joshua sent spies to spy out the land. Hey, that's not a problem. He's done that before. We did that. He did that with Jericho. No big deal. They returned with this report. They returned and said, do not send all the people. The people of I are few. It's small. Send maybe two, 3,000 men to attack this city. So Joshua, listening to these men and these men alone, sent 3,000 men, and the Bible tells us that they fled before the men of Ai. Not only did they flee, the men of Ai killed 36 of their Israelite brothers 
as they chased them away. 36 men died running with their backs turned to the men of Ai. And now the hearts of the Israelite nation, right, the people of God, their hearts, they were the ones melting away. It's, the Bible says that it melted and became as water. Where before, it was the inhabitants of Canaan whose hearts were melting away. It now seems that the tables have turned. Something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. So Joshua and the elders, they come to, before the ark. They tear their clothes. They fall face first uh, to the ground before the ark of the Lord. They put dust on their heads until evening as if mourning, as if in lament, right? And look at chapter, uh, in chapter 7, look at verse 7. We're going to start there. Verse 7. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut us off. Excuse me, cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Nick, I don't think the pulpit mic's on at all. I don't think this is on. So, there we go. That's clear. That was powerful scripture. While they're face down in the dirt, oh, why is this happening to us? He said, it's easy. You've sinned. And we're going to find out. The title for this message is Keep Your Eyes Right on the Lord. We're going to find out how Joshua took his eyes off and this being the result. Now, God tells Joshua something. He says, man, get up. Get up off the ground. Consecrate yourselves. Brother, you have devoted things in your midst, in your camp. There are things that have been stolen that were devoted to me. I was robbed. This is what God is saying. You cannot stand against your enemies until these devoted things are removed. In the morning, you're going to bring before me tribe by tribe, clan by clan, right? You're going to bring family by family and man by man. What I'm giving you here is basically uh, the elements of the Israelite uh, society. That's how it was built. Now, each of these larger groups would come before God, and then he would select a smaller subgroup from each of those larger. And how did he do that? It says that the Lord takes by lot. So we're looking at the use of sacred lots here. Um, most likely it's what we call the Urim and the Thummim. And what that is, it was uh, uh, worn by the priest and it was selected by the priest. 
but ultimately it was God's choice. We don't understand how it works, but the high priest would select through God's choosing. Casting of lots, if you will. So God's choice, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, extended that is, extended family, and then individual families until that man was selected or that person. Now, and he who is selected will be burned with fire. Why? Because God instructed that Joshua was to burn Jericho and all the things that were devoted to destruction. We cannot skip over that. That was basically a first fruits. It was all things dedicated to God. But some of those things were removed, and now we have a broken covenant. Now, the person who was selected is going to be burned with fire because he broke that. He broke that covenant, and it makes himself and all that he has liable, you ready for this, to the same treatment that the devoted, devoted things would have received. The things he stole were to be burned. Those things now that he took makes his whole family liable for the same treatment. So Joshua did as he was told. And Achan was the man that was selected as the transgressor, the one who stole the devoted things. This would fill the command to devote the guilty one to God. So let me just recap. Joshua, listening to the spy, sends 3,000 men to attack I, thinking it's going to be a done deal. Instead, they are attacked, and they are fleeing for their lives, running with their backs toward the men, 36 of them killed. They return. There is great uh, lament and, and, and mourning over this loss. How were we defeated? How could this be? And God says, man, get up. You have sin in your camp. Things that were devoted to me have been stolen. You need to make it right. That's where we are right now. God says, find the man that did this and let's make things right. So this would fill the command to devote the guilty one to God. Everybody look down at verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among a spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Let me explain that phrase, give glory to God, because that happens also in the New Testament. Uh, you don't have to look there, but in the New Testament in John 9, 24, it says, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. <clears throat> we know that this man is a sinner, trying to find out more information. When you say give glory to God in context like this, you are telling them, you're under oath here. You need to bring glory to God by confessing the truth. This is confession time. This is oath time. So that's what they're saying. When Joshua looks at Achan and says, give glory to God, tell me what you did. And Achan told him every single thing. Every single thing. I think it's very interesting, and I don't know if you picked this up. This is where God had me all week long in verse 21. In verse 21, Achan says with his own mouth, I saw, I coveted, and then I took. 
It's right there in verse 21. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak, right? Then he says, then I coveted them, and then I took them. I saw, I coveted, I took. That happens quite often, folks. That happens quite often. We are no different than Achan. Please don't think Achan's the only one. You and I have the tendency to do that too. But he hid these things. Now, doesn't this indicate that he knew that he had done something wrong if he's hiding these things? Don't we feel conviction of sin if we don't want to share with the congregation, hey, guess what I did yesterday? Instead, we want to keep it hidden? Of course, that is conviction for us but not for him. His eyes were elsewhere. His eyes were on a very significant treasure, and he wanted to hide these things. He knew it was wrong. Now, let me ask you this. Could this have been the very first sin committed by the people after crossing the Jordan? It could be. See, this new generation had just been circumcised. They were enjoying the special blessings of God corporately now, and I'm going to get deep, a little deeper into this. Corporately, they were going to now experience the results of the first sin and know its terrible consequences. Because see, Israel was responsible corporately as a nation. This was a covenant for the people, the nation. The nation as a whole was in a covenant relationship with God, and when one member transgressed the covenant, my goodness, the entire nation's relationship with him was damaged. We see that somewhere else in the Bible too, though. Folks, this is what can happen when you take your eyes off God. See, Achan's actions not only defiled himself, but other members of his community as well. And similar to this is what happened with Adam and Eve. See, sin is never an isolated event. There is a ripple effect that touches others. You know that individually with your families. We could have, we've seen that as a church whole. Sin has a ripple effect. Let's talk about Adam and Eve for a sec. Eve, she saw, she coveted, and then she took. You know the story in Genesis. The same thing with Achan, the same thing with you and I. That formula works and is still prevalent today. But for Adam and Eve, that was the first sin in everything. And that ripple effect has touched all of humanity, all of mankind, you and I included. So in both, we're talking about Adam and Eve's sin, and now we're talking about Achan's sin. Guess what? Perfect communion between man and God was destroyed. It was destroyed. King David even. Remember King David walking on his roof? He sees the Sheba. What formula was there? He saw he coveted, and then he took. What was the ripple effect of that? The husband was murdered. He committed adultery. Sin is never isolated. And we see that with the nation of Israel. But just for a second, I want to compare, going back to Rahab, I'd like to compare Rahab versus Achan. Because it dawned on me that both of them in this story, in this book, hid something. Both of them hid something. One hid in faith. One hid in sin. Now, talking about corporate responsibility, because I know it seems unfair to you. You've got to be thinking, my goodness, I don't, want to, I don't want sin to affect your sin to affect me. I don't want to be punished for your sin. You remember being in class as a kid, and a couple kids would cause trouble, and the whole class had to be quiet, or the whole class had to write a report or something? 
wow, it felt unfair, right? But not in God's eyes. Both hid something. Rahab's family, because she hid those spies, was saved. Do you realize because of Rahab's actions, the rest of her family was covered? Corporate responsibility. The same thing with Achan. Achan's family would be destroyed because of the sin. They were attached to Achan. Corporate responsibility. Again, I know this seems harsh, and we don't know the exact reason for the destruction of the family, but I've got to tell you something. There are possibilities. One of them is such that a lesson needed to be learned for the nation as a whole, knowing where they were going forward. Just a lesson to be learned. There was another possibility that the kids were also showing signs or exhibiting disobedience and disrespect for God's commands. Come on, don't we imitate our parents, right? I know that's not true in all things. There are exceptions. But don't we imitate and mimic our parents? We try to raise our kids the best. But if the father's doing this, don't you think maybe the kids were involved? And that brings me to my next point. They probably knew. They're sharing a tent. They were probably accomplices in this and knew and kept it quiet. But, you know, God does not need to explain his reasons to us. He doesn't. But I'll tell you this. We have enough information in this Bible and in this book, we have enough information that we can see God is holy. God is holy and that disobedience comes with consequences. Any parent in this room right now will agree with that statement and back me up. Disobedience always has a consequence. And that's what we're seeing here. You know, technology advances. I was thinking 50 years ago where we've come from. 25 years ago. Look at medicine. Look at, look at cell phones, computers. Technology has advanced. But one of the thing that's, things that hasn't that's remained the same is our sinful nature. Our sinful nature remains the same no matter how technology advances. Now, having said that, man continually invents invent new ways to sin. Do you realize that? With technology advancing, we create new ways to sin because that sinful nature remains the same, but guess what else remains the same? God's hatred for sin. We are no different than that man Achan. We too can see, covet, and take. And the reason we can do that is we've removed our eyes off of him. Our eyes and hearts, folks, they are connected. When you take your eyes off the Lord, you're going to place them somewhere. Now, I'm not blaming just Achan here. I'm going to talk about Joshua and the nation. Joshua took his eyes off too. Nowhere in the beginning of this chapter do we hear or see anything in regard to God's presence. Not there. It seems as if he is not involved, or how I like to look at it, this is how I think, I don't think he was included. God, you're not included in this. So Joshua listened to the counsel of men over asking God, Joshua, man, give me a couple thousand men. We'll have this done in a day. We'll have it done. He did not come to God at all. He moved forward without God's involvement. Why? Was he still riding this, this wave of success when Jericho fell? Was that the wave he was riding? I mean, was I so much smaller that this would be a piece of cake? <clears throat> I don't know what Joshua's thinking. But I do know this. He seeks God's presence after they have failed. 
and lost 36 men. After the tragedy. Aren't we all like that? Don't we seek God's presence only after the main tragedy instead of coming to him before? We do it all the time. I do it all the time. He falls face first in the dirt. He calls on God with his face in the dirt. Had he sought God first, folks, had he sought God first, he would have known not to attack I. Don't do it. Because things were not right with the nation. God could not be with you, Joshua. Had you asked, you would have known that. I cannot be with you. The scripture says that, that we just read. It said this. I will be with you no more. Now that is terrifying. Because all throughout the beginning of Joshua, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. Now he's saying, I will be with you no more. And then the most beautiful word Joshua could ever heard, unless. I mean, if that word was a tangible thing, I'm sure he would have squeezed and hugged the juices out of it, right? Unless. And I bet anything God said after unless, Joshua would have done. He would have been obedient to that. He says, I'll be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. And we see that Joshua learned a valuable lesson in all of this. It's one for us to learn from too. Here's what happened. Joshua sent members to Achan's tent. They did. They found the stolen items as Achan said they would. Give glory to God. Yep, I took them. Here they are. They brought the items to Joshua and the people. They laid them out before the Lord. Joshua, along with all of Israel, took Achan, the stolen items. This is the silver, the cloak, the gold. This was a significant treasure. This would have taken care of them the rest of their lives. They took all of this. They took his sons. They took his daughters. Again, it's possible that Achan's family knew or shared in this offense, although the text doesn't comment on this specifically. They took his oxen. They took his donkeys. They took his sheep. They took his tent. Everything he had. They stoned him. They stoned the family. And then they burnt them with fire. All the devoted things for destruction, as it was supposed to be done in Jericho, was burnt with fire. Now, it says that they raised over Achan a huge heap of stones. This is interesting. The first set of stones was set for a memorial. Do you remember the 12 stones they set when they crossed the Jordan? When children were to walk by these 12 stones and say, Dad, what is that? Well, that's for us to remember what God did. He dried up the Jordan and we crossed over into the promised land that you have inherited and where you live now. It's the miracle of God. He did it at the Red Sea. He's done it here at the Jordan. These 12 stones are memorial. But you know what? The heap of stones over Achan, it's a memorial too. It's a reminder of Israel's potential for unfaithfulness. Boy, oh boy, do we need to see that heap of stones in our life. A reminder for unfaithfulness and for the dire consequences that result from it. Because do you want to know what happened after the devoted things were burned and things were made right with God? The Lord turned his anger. He turned his anger. He was no longer angry. He was back. I am with you now. I will be with you. Because the things devoted to destruction had now been fulfilled. Now you can move forward, Joshua. Now everything's going to work. We can see here and all throughout Scripture that mercy accompanies, <coughs> accompanies excuse me, judgment. Mercy accompanies judgment. 
that is a gracious God that allows mercy to accompany judgment. Now things were made right with God, and now Joshua and the nation had hope again. Look at the verse, uh, first two verses of chapter 8. Joshua 8, 1 and 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, Hey, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land, and you shall do to Ai its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Wow, what a difference. The words recall what God said to Joshua in the very beginning of this book. Hey, Joshua, I don't want you to fear. I don't want you to be dismayed. I am with you. See, God is setting the stage for his presence and his promises and the miracles that will follow. God would give his people victory. And in the text we just read, In that text, God has already assured the victory as he gives instructions to Joshua. What a difference. What a difference from where these men are running with their backs turned. Their backs turned, fleeing, losing 36 of their men. What a difference in comparison to I've already given you the victory. And here's how you're going to get it. Huge. So like Jericho, all was dedicated to destruction, except this time they were allowed to take some of the spoils and some of the livestock. God was allowing them to take that for themselves. See, Jericho, like I said before, was kind of a first fruits. Once they crossed over, that first fortress was for God. The things devoted there were for him. And what did he want? He wanted everything destroyed. He wanted them burnt by fire. So, this time, he wanted the same, except, hey, I'm going to give you some spoils. I'm going to give you some plunder. And this is provision. This is provision. They were obedient in the things of Jericho when Achan and his family and the things devoted for destruction were destroyed. So, God gives instructions for this great ambush. This great, great ambush. He shows them how to attack. So Joshua leads the nation in perfect execution, and they took the city of Ai. All were struck down along with its king. Victory was Israel's. Once again, you had a defeat, and now you have a wonderful victory. What was the difference? God was involved. That is the difference. This... (laughs) I can't say it enough. Then learning this, then learning this valuable lesson, keeping your eyes on the Lord. Joshua does an amazing thing. He does an amazing thing. Now that he understands keeping your eyes solely on the Lord, he does this awesome thing. Jump down to the very bottom of chapter 8. Look at verse 30. We're gonna, he's going to officiate a covenant renewal. A covenant renewal. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel. As it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, 
upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones, ready for this? A copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Abal, just <clears throat> excuse me, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. This is huge. You can call it back to basics. You can call it Christianity 101, back to the drawing board, however you want to put it. What we're seeing here is a fulfillment of what Moses had commanded back in Deuteronomy 27. When you enter the land, Canaan, when you cross that Jordan, he wanted them to gather. They gathered. They made offerings. Joshua copied the law of Moses. Half of Israel stood in, in front of Mount Ebal, and half stood in front of Mount Gerizim. Folks, the base of these mounts were only about 500 yards apart, okay? So they all stood there, the whole tribe, and they pronounced both the blessings and the curses for obeying and disobeying the covenant. This included all resident aliens. This included the citizens, the entire nation who lived with Israel. It was Joshua who represented the writing and the reading of the covenant. Again, Joshua's obedience is really and truly underscored here. It is, as he is reading to the totality of Israel, including the women, the children, and the sojourners. See, this covenant renewal, what it was, it was this. It was about being consecrated to God. This covenant renewal was about celebrating their relationship with him. This covenant renewal was about their ongoing obedience to God's law for them. And what a perfect time to do this, Joshua. Achan had just sinned, caused a horrible, horrible problem for the nation. 36 men died of it. Remember the ripple effect. They were defeated. Now, God gave them the victory when they made things right. Victory was theirs. And so he said, you know what? Let's go over things one more time. Let us all remind ourselves of God's law the law Moses gave to us. I think we need to go over it again. Parents, have you ever gone over rules with your kids when they keep breaking them? Teachers, you'd probably do the same thing. I love that Joshua did this. Yes, he was obeying Moses. It's true. But boy, was this needed. And I'm telling you, there is a lesson for us as well. So the victory at Jericho was a lesson for the Canaanites. Are you with me? That was a lesson for the Canaanites. The, the, the defeat of Ai... Well, that was a lesson for the Israelites. And boy, oh boy, you, you would hope, if you know the story of the Israelites, you know it's not done. But for now, they were obedient to God, 
and they learn their lesson. The defeat in battle would not be the greatest loss, though. The defeat in Ai, guys, was not the greatest loss to the Israelites. Do you know what it would be? The loss of God's presence. The loss of God's presence would be the greatest disaster. I want to read it again in Joshua 7.12. It's in your Bible. It's right there. Joshua 7.12. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. That's powerful. That is powerful. The loss of God's presence would be the greatest uh, tragedy that they would ever face. Let me talk about you for a second because this story rings true in our very lives. You cannot hide sin from God. You can hide it from me. You can hide it from each other, okay? You cannot hide sin from God. Even in the darkest recesses of your being, folks, for God, it's like a bright noonday. He sees all. So let me say this to you. You can't run from the Lord. You can't hide from the Lord. But you know what you can do? You can take your eyes off the Lord. And we do it all the time. Taking your eyes off the Lord, <clears throat> this story illustrates that perfectly. And if you take your eyes off the Lord, let me say this one more time, you're going to place them on somewhere else or on someone else. Our eyes will always find something to lock on and be fixed on. So where is your focus today? Where is your focus today? Do you need to renew your dedication to God? Do or does your relationship, does it need to be healed, healed between you and God? Is your relationship suffering? Has communion with your Lord and Savior been disrupted and damaged because of the things that you have hidden in your tent. Because sin separates us from God. There is a separation. It's not permanent. We get to come back to God when we confess, when we repent. But are there things hidden in your tent that are damaging that relationship and that communion between you and your God? Are your eyes and heart Worshipping the things, or worshipping things other than God. We know that's easy to do in this world. Temptation is real. Satan is real. The world is real. And of course, our self-nature, that sinful nature, it's real. We are battling those three things. So the questions that I'm asking you right now, they're very important to you and you alone. These questions are important because... Only you can answer them. As you observe this story that I just told you, in Joshua 7 and 8, the defeat of I, and then of course the victory. In this story, you have to answer these questions, but use this story as the background, as the basis for answering them. See, we've got to learn from the nation of Israel. We have to learn from the nation of Israel, both in lessons of warning and of hope. This is why God gives us this wonderful living word so that we can learn from it. You cannot hide from God. You cannot run from God. But you can take your eyes off of God. I got a funny little story. Well, <clears throat> I guess it's funny depending on if you laugh. I don't know if it's funny or not. There is a story of a prosperous 
uh, young investment banker. Okay, he made, he, made, he made good money. And he was driving a, a new BMW sedan. But he was driving the sedan on a mountain during a, a, a road mountain during a snowstorm. Okay? As he veered around one sharp turn, he lost control and he began to skid off the road heading towards this cliff. As he slid farther and closer, excuse me, closer to it, he jumped out of the car at the last minute. He made his last ditch effort, if you will. And he jumped out of the car before it went over the cliff and down into the ravine. When he leaped from the car, though, uh, he suffered a very bad injury. Now, the car tumbles over into the ravine, blows up in a ball of flames. And though he escaped with his life as he's watching this car burn, the man suffered a massive injury. Somehow his arm had got caught near the hinge of the door as he jumped out. And as the car went over, and as he was trying to go the other way, well, it tore his arm off at the shoulder. A trucker saw the accident. A trucker pulled over. He saw the accident in his rearview mirror, pulled his rig over, and he ran to see if he could help this poor man. And he found the baker standing at the roadside looking down at the BMW, burning in the ravine below. Oh, my BMW, my new BMW, the banker moaned, oblivious to his injury, completely oblivious. Well, the trucker pointed at the banker's shoulder and said, well, you've got bigger problems than that car. We have got to find your arm. Maybe the surgeons can sew it back on. Well, the banker looked where his arm had been, and he paused a moment and groaned, oh, no, my Rolex, my new Rolex. That was the funny part, people. Okay, you're awake now. Gotcha. My new Rolex. See, God gives us material things to enjoy. God blesses us. We can enjoy these things. He doesn't want you to worship him. And here's the problem. The man saw the BMW and the man saw the Rolex oblivious to what was real and what was truly hurtful and what he was missing. He did not see it because his eyes were fixed on other things. Aiken's eyes were fixed on that treasure. He did not look at the Lord anymore. It was fixed on that treasure. Joshua, along with the nation of Israel, their eyes were not fixed on God. It was fixed on that very next step. Let's defeat I. Let's just defeat I. I want to tell you what keeping, on, keeping your eyes on the Lord means. And this is the truth. You ready? When I talk about keep your eyes on the Lord, it equates to this centering our lives around our faith and our relationship in Jesus, continually seeking his guidance and presence, involving him in every area of our life. The process, folks, the process of growth and transformation that we seek as our ultimate goal to become more like Jesus involves us seeking him in every area of our life always keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, there are many bright and shiny things in this world that want to compete for, where, for your vision, for where your eyes are fixed. Look at me. Look over here. You want this. You desire this. There are many, many things. And we can fall prey to those things when we take our eyes off the Lord, when our eyes are no longer fixed. Hebrews 12.2 says this, looking to Jesus looking to Jesus. That means fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is where our eyes need to be fixed in all things, not just spiritual, folks. You take God with you every day, wherever you go. God should be involved in every area. Joshua Joshua learned in this story. We see that Joshua learned. We see that the nation of Israel learned in this story. It's my hope that you and I learn this valuable lesson from this story, keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord. And in keeping with our eyes fixed on the Lord, we're going to turn to his table, the Lord's table. I'd like to invite the ladies up, please, if the men will prepare to come down. Keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord, we are going to partake of his table. We're going to focus on the bread and the cup, which, of course, is his body and his blood. And in this time of communion together, Just like Joshua called the nation to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and he read aloud every word of the law, bringing all the nation back into covenant with God, I want you to use this time to reconnect with your Lord and Savior. It's very important for us to remember that when we commune with God, we are setting ourselves back in a position where we are connected, we we are communing, where we are restored. And that's what we want to have happen in this communion service.